The veterans you see standing before you here have been through all kinds of heavy shit. And they've always got the job done. Now, your new soldiers, these hot shots, how much action have they seen? And are they battle-tested? How about a few tests just to get you on board? Make you a believer. folks welcome back to the man cave movie review the podcast that reviews the good the bad and the ugly of movies for men this is episode 85 and today we're going to be talking about soldier this great and fantastic film stars kurt russell gary Busey, jason isaacs and the moderately attractive honey nielsen i am your host steve michaels and joining me is my very good and dear friend mark who you call an obsolete slover Okay, a little back of the envelope math I did before this movie. So let me get this straight. Movie cost sixty million. Kurt Russell made twenty million off the movie. He had a hundred and four words. Words in this movie. That translates to a hundred and ninety two thousand three hundred and seven dollars per word that he made off of this movie. That is great business, Mr. Russell, I applaud you. Oh, and by the way, the movie only made $14 million, But, you know, who's counting? Nice, Mark. Uh, what? <laughs> I, we did math tonight, I know. Mark, I have to say that I'm a little depressed because as a certified attorney, I should have done that analysis, and I have failed you for the last time. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> huh? I don't even have my clips ready. <laughs> oh boy all right uh let's see and uh for those of you who don't know his voice joining us is our other very good and dear friend ken oh good lord don't let me fall behind on the platoon run Roni. <laughs> i've been training from infancy to do this podcast sir <laughs> it's probably a good idea wow that that's some harsh basic training there it uh, is harsh it is harsh you know, you thought Full Metal Jacket, you know, that your ass like looks like 150 pounds of chewed bubble gum. You thought that was bad in Full Metal Jacket, but yeah. this movie, jeez. Oh, my God. You guys, you know, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman sitting there going, damn, these guys are. The pussy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hell, you know, I was just. I mean, they pretty much say, let me see your war face. And then they shoot you in your war face. <laughs> You would get a good war face, you get shot in it. All right, folks, our other very good and dear friend, and I know you guys love him. He is the uh, uh, the uh, penny on the rail of this show, uh, Jeff. No, I am not Michael Chiklis. Muncie <laughs> is unfortunately unable to be here right now because he has um, uh, family duties that are obviously much more important than hanging out with us, drinking alcohol, and talking about movies. What is wrong with this guy? I have no idea. But Man, hey, you know what? He's straight. Yeah, you know what? We all have to make our sacrifices. So anyway, uh, moving on to this great and fantastic film. We're talking about Soldier. And we have actually uh, talked about this, or at least mentioned it in the past, I believe. Mr. Roney, I think you actually talked about this one or brought it up when we were doing the uh, review of Blade Runner. And yeah. one, yes, and one of our uh, devoted listeners, uh, Darwin Allen, uh, suggested this movie uh, to us because he said it's like it, it's in that Blade Runner universe. 
And, you know, when I went and did the research on it and everything, you know, one of the writers or the writer of the movie said that he wanted to put it in that Blade Runner universe. And when you watch the movie, you kind of see what they wanted to do. And part of the, the, the biggest issue that I have with this movie is I, I think that's what they wanted to do, but somehow it didn't translate very well. At least in terms, in my opinion, guys, when I watched this, I'm like, okay, I maybe my expectations were too high. But when I thought Blade Runner, I'm like, all right, well, Blade Runner was, what, 81, 82? This is 1998. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to be wowed here. And I'm sitting there thinking, mm, something was missing here. And I think one of the things that was missing was dialogue. There's very little dialogue in this movie. I like the movie, I like the, the concept and everything like that, but I don't know. I was a little disappointed in Kurt Russell's performance in this one. Let's give the the listeners of the IMDB background on this thing. Uh, you know, I probably should have shown, oh shit, I didn't have that up there. You guys have mm, it? That's why I'm here. Oh, yeah, that's my job. Oh, shit. Shit. Hello, McFly. Shit. Okay, so... The background of this movie is a soldier is dumped on a waste disposal planet and lives among a community of uh, other crash survivors on the planet and takes it upon himself to defend his new home when genetic engineered soldiers are ordered to eliminate the crash survivors. Yeah, okay, that's a decent review of the movie, but I don't know. I mean, I understand where the, the universe that they were trying to put it in, I think it fit into the Blade Runner slash Alien universe because, you know, they're using, you know, same kind of technology, weaponry and stuff like that. But I think in terms of delivery, it didn't deliver on those levels. I mean, what do you guys think? I do have to agree with the idea that there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie, so you can't set up too much in a way of character development. I mean, the, what, what there is, you just have to sort of imply and infer. I don't think they do a terrible job of it, but they, like, as Mark analyzed it, I mean, there just isn't a lot of discussion going on. Uh, and for the, those of you that haven't seen this, a big part of this is the idea that, you know, Kurt Russell's character, Todd, Sergeant Todd is his name. He's, he's been, you know, trained from birth in some sort of ultimate super warrior, heavy duty research project in the near future. And, He's not a full human being. I mean, he's an ultimate fighting machine, but he's not built up a lot of other aspects of his humanity. And this movie, to some degree, is you know him being outcast and trying to become human again. I mean, maybe you can make the argument he's not, but I think that's what the sort of the storyline is. If you didn't know it, if you just and, and I'll say this, I first saw this movie back. Soon after it came out, it got on cable, I watched it. I may have seen bits of it between then and now, but when you first see it, unless somebody smacks you in the face and says, hey, this is in the Blade Runner universe, you really don't get it. But then once they say it, it's like, okay, yeah, I see it. It's there. Uh, essentially, the genetically altered soldiers that Todd is up against are the replicants. They're the the uh the Rutger Hauer characters from Blade Runner. These these people, they weren't trained from childhood. They were bred and genetically engineered from childhood to be ultimate warriors, so they're a step above what the average human being can be. It is a different feel. I'm gonna throw out something which hit me when I was watching this. You know, this is set on essentially it's a garbage planet. I mean, 
I guess in, a, in the not-too-distant future, space transportation is cheap, so Earth, to get rid of their garbage, just loads it onto big ships and dumps it on this world. So you have this world that's just full of crap. I mean, it's just all sorts of junk. When I was looking at the garbage dump, what I also realized is that's the same scene that I saw in Idiocracy. <laughs> two, two near future movies, but they're both a crap world, just a dump world. Uh, but visually it looked about the same. You know, there's a settlement of humans on the planet. They, you know, they're, they crash landed there. Nobody knows they're there. They're trying to make a living, scavenging junk and creating sort of a nice, peaceful utopia, you know, as much of a utopian planet or settlement as you can get on a junk world. And then this ultimate fighting machine, you know, semi-human character comes into their world and they've got to react to them. So it's not just Kurt Russell and his problems, although that's a big part of it. It's also these people who, okay, how do we deal with this person that's, you know, he's obviously a lost soul. He's he's on his own. We'd like to welcome him in, but he really doesn't fit here. He doesn't have our values and, I mean, he doesn't react like us. So it's an interesting conflict, I thought. And then you have the big fight scene at the end where the bad guys get their comeuppance. A little bit of action, typical Hollywood, super-duper action. A lot of tropes. I mean, this this thing is trope-heavy. It's, it's, you know, if you want one, it's in there. That's what I'll say, at least to start off my conversation. I don't want to kind of rambling, so I'll shut up and let Mark speak his mind. Yeah, you you caught a lot of things I did too. This was one of those movies that I sat there and watched, and I thought, "Am I watching a pseudo sequel to Commando meets Starship Troopers with a dash of Dune?" Uh, it it was one of those movies that I wanted to like, and I don't dislike this movie, but it, I just got the sense that it really struggled to try and clearly accomplish its goal. You you're right. You got this super soldier played by Kurt Russell, and, I mean, he literally has 104 words in this movie, which the whole time I thought, my God, was this orig- script originally writ- written for Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> it just it, it just jumped out at me that way. Um, well, I'd have to jump in here and say, no, it wasn't, because at no point did Kurt Russell say, get to the chopper, or I'll be back. But you know what I mean? It had that Schwarzenegger commando-esque feel to it. It's one of those movies that, again, we talk about it with Roadhouse that came out in the late 80s, and this came out in the late 90s. It just kind of had that feel of a movie that kind of wanted to be more than what it was, but it ran. It, it just has this feel like it it ran out of money. Uh, it, it doesn't quite run 100 minutes. It's 40 million. And there are times I'm looking at it going, okay, well, I, or 60 million, whatever it was. I, I see where Kurt Russell got the bulk of it and the rest of it didn't really end up in production. It is a trope fest and I, I look forward to getting into that and talking about it. The thing that I did like about this movie in an odd sort of way is I'm, I, I am kind of poking fun about Kurt Russell making a shit ton of money off 104 words. However, he does some pretty good acting in the case of a man who's having to deal with his emotions because everything that he was bred and trained for, like a janissary, he's been turned out from all of that, and now he's trying to 
become equipped to deal with the rest of humanity and those emotions that have long been tamped down. So it's got some interesting concepts and some points, but it just never really explores them. And then it becomes, in the end, dumb, dumb tactics and military strategy tactics and weapon systems that look like they were pulled straight out of just an updated version of something pulled out of the Napoleonic era. Well, you know, Mark, let me jump in real quick. And, and sure. I'm, I was going to ramble a little longer, so by all means, save my ass. <laughs> well, one of the things I want to mention about that is, like you, I I didn't dislike this movie. Mm-mm. I think I love the concept. As a matter of fact, the more I was watching it, and this is probably the, the third viewing I did of this movie, and I got a I got a very Robert Heinlein sense out of the movie because this is something that, in terms of just how these guys were like created and stuff like that, I mean, this is out of a Robert Heinlein no- novel. Uh, this is something that I would have thought he would have done. I guess the part that I got is that yeah, they were bred from, and you saw that in the very beginning. Uh, how they were bred from infancy to be these trained killers and stuff like that. But the the biggest problem that I had was literally the automaton attitude that Kurt Russell was portraying. I had talked to uh, Jeff offline about this uh, prior to the show. I said, you know, I'm thinking that Kurt Russell pretty much looked at this movie as the great train robbery because... <laughs> He, he, st- I mean, when you think he got $20 million out of this movie in 1998, that, that's a, that's a major paycheck. He was made pretty much at his peak. I mean, he'd come off Tombstone and a couple yeah. other good, you know, very mm-hmm. big box office successes. So yeah. this was, yeah, know, how, his yeah, payday. yeah, exactly. How this dude managed $20 million off this movie. And like I said, they lost big time on it because, um, and there, and, and there's some other issues on the movie that I'm going to talk about. I did, I, I love the concept and there's parts of this movie that I really do enjoy and I think are really good. And one of the things I'm going to talk about the director of this movie and the director, and I'm just going to go there real quick. And this is something a little bit of an offshoot of, about what we do on the show, but I don't talk about directors too often, but this one was uh, Paul W.S. Anderson. And this is a guy that has done some pretty good movies in the past that we've seen. Uh, I mean, he's done, uh, well, I mean, he's renowned for Resident Evil. Uh, he did Death Race, uh, the, the remake with Jason Statham, which we reviewed on this, uh, on this particular podcast. Uh, he did Resident, well, he's done all the Resident Evil stuff. Uh, Alien vs. Predator. He did, uh, some Mortal Kombat, Pandorium. He's a producer on that one. Uh, but director wise, uh, I mean, this guy's got some cred. I mean, he's done some pretty good stuff. And, oh, and the other one, actually, that um, uh, that was done literally right around the time that uh, Soldier was in production, which I think is a really good sci-fi horror movie, is Event Horizon. And, again, my personal opinion, I think as sci-fi horror goes, I thought Event Horizon is pretty good. Mark, you and I have talked about it in the past. It's Hellraiser in space. It's Hellraiser in space, and you know what? But the thing of it is, is that good looking movie. I'll say it. it's a good looking movie. Yeah, very and stylish. I, I, Mark and I went and saw it. We just walked out going, like, "What the hell was that?" Yeah. Right. The problem is, is that he did Soldier a year later than uh, Event Horizon, and it's like, is that the same dude that did that really cool sci-fi horror movie? 
I guess it is. So I don't know. I, I almost kind of wonder a little bit in Soldier. Did he have a whole lot of directing authority in this one? Or were there somebody pulling the strings? Because when you see this movie, there's some stuff in there, and I'm going to talk about it later, that just drives me up a flipping wall in terms <laughs> of... And Mark's laughing because he probably already... Fa- and we haven't even <laughs> talked about it. He knows where I'm going. <laughs> Steve, I have no idea what you're talking about. Steve, I, I have to say, I mean, you're, you're saying you have some admiration for Paul Anderson. And, uh, well, does it really just boil down to the fact that here we go. he's sleeping next to Mila Hobobobo Bobovich and tonight and you're not? If that was the case, I would be like degrading this guy to the nth degree. It would have nothing to do with that. I, w- I would just be tearing this man down. Because the more I tear him down, the better my chances are with her. Is that the is that the Great Plains, Mila Jovovich? Jeff needed that. You know what this movie reminded me of? And Ken, you've read a lot of his works, and I know Steve, you've read some. It kind of reminded me of an H. Beam Piper short story. Yes. Yes. Yeah. H. Beam Piper could have written this. Yeah, it reminded me of a Piper short story that someone... You know, written in the early 60s, late 50s, that someone poured it into a movie. Well, it also kind of reminded me of a Jerry Purnell Codominium sort of story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You could. It's, yeah. That, it's, it's that kind of feel, the whole political skullduggery and backstabbing and, you know, dark worldview. Yep. See, that was a thing because you get this, you know, you get uh, Kurt Russell and he is that, uh, you know, the, you know, the super soldier that they raised from, uh, uh, from infancy. And, you know, and they show throughout the course of the, uh, you know, his life, all the battles he's been through. Excuse me, you got gas here. You okay there, buddy? <coughs> yeah, I'm all right. He's been drinking all night, so he's just getting warmed up. I've been watching the BlizzCon thing all night, and I'm just like, He's been what? drinking and watching and watching and drinking. Watching and drinking. I'm still doing the show. You know why? Because I'm dedicated. Because you're a professional, by God. That's damn right. Did you guys, just just a side thing, did you know, you got to sort of pay attention, but in the early parts of this movie, when they are showing Todd coming up through his training, his experience, and he, you know, his battles, they're showing like things like the battles he was at yes. or the weapons he is qualified for. And did you guys pick up on all the little homages that they do while they're throwing those around. Yeah. Is that by yep. the is that any trivia for this? Channel? It isn't it isn't yes. trivia and we will discuss it. it okay. is, there are some there are some really good obscure you've got to be into sci fi or computer game homages, Ken. Yeah. I love them. Oh I just I, I, I saw that it made me happy. And you know what? That is the stuff that I loved about this movie is because there are just tons of throwbacks to other movies, homages, to all that stuff, which I thought really made this movie really good. It really kind of made me go, it's like, all right, well, this is bad, but that was really cool. There was a lot of really cool scenes in this movie, and I think this movie could have been a lot better. Paul W.S. Anderson has done some really good work. I don't think this is one of them, and I don't know if it was because he didn't have full reign or what, uh, based on the other stuff I've seen of his, but I could have seen, I could have seen Ridley Scott just go to town on this thing and just made this really awesome. Or somebody that could have had more fun with it. 
but there were things in there that just bugged the living crap out of me. And I, I, I mean, we'll kind of get to that. Um, you know, when we talk about scenes, our favorite scenes, or maybe even worse scenes, I'll talk about some of that. But l- let's talk about some of the actors in this movie. Uh, obviously, you know, the main one is being uh, Kurt Russell. The first thing I'm going to tell you right now is the, the most impressive thing that I thought about Kurt Russell in this movie is the fact that when he made this movie, he is my age right now, and man, he was big. He spent a lot of time getting ready for this movie physically. Yeah, there there had to have been some, um, well, that, I'm not even going to say anything, but I mean, he was... You know, because, I mean, the dude was born in 51. This movie was made in 98. So, actually, you know, when I take that back, he was actually a year older than me. Uh, I'm 46, <laughs> so he was 47. So, I mean, I mean, he was big. I mean, like, bulky, big, ripped. I mean, you even see it in his face. And, but I guess the biggest issue I had with him in this movie is that he was almost, he wasn't even like a, uh, he was just too automaton. And one of the things that I want to, kind of go back to and ken i think you actually brought this up remember when we did the review of hitman yeah remember we talked about like the opening of hitman where they're doing the whole thing where they're putting the tattoos uh, the barcode on the back of the neck it was almost kind of like the uh the intro to this movie but not quite as uh in depth so it's the same idea it's the same idea same concept and and i think that's really cool i really do like that the difference is is that you look at way that Kurt Russell was in this movie versus Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant actually still was human in a sense. I mean, he exhibited a certain amount of humanity. I mean, just like in his reactions. I mean, but Kurt Russell was almost to the point where even his reactions or motions were almost robotic. And it's like I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in there and sort of throw in what Mark said, though. Okay. The thing I enjoyed about this, and I'll give Kurt Russell chops, is He's playing essentially, you know, an automaton, an automaton, a robotic sort of killing machine that's got a human soul inside trying to like bust through, but he's, his whole life has been don't bust through, just be the killing machine. Okay. And you see little bits and pieces of that. I'm not saying it's awesome, but it's there. Would you agree, Mark? Yeah. And there is one scene that I really liked in this movie from an acting standpoint with Russell is when he, when they, when the, the colonists have him leave and he's in that drainage pipe. Yeah. And he can't understand why he's crying. Yeah. There, yeah. There's some really poignant scenes like that, but they're not investigated enough. They're not developed enough in this movie. Yeah. It's just right. There it is. Now let's move on to the massive killing fest. Right. Which right. I don't have, I mean, I like Massive Killing Fest, so, you know, don't get but, me wrong. But if you're gonna, but that's, that's one of the hangups I have with this movie is if you're gonna go down that road, go a little further. Let's humanize him a little more. Yeah, a little bit of dialogue, you know, a little bit of more interaction just to build right. it up. Okay, you like Connie Nielsen's breaths. Okay, we get that. You've never seen those before. Those are nice. <laughs> just, just saying. You know, and he, and he bonds with the little kid. There were some interesting scenes that were kind of thrown out there and shows him how to kill a, one of the planetary snake adder viper creature, which saves daddy and mommy later. Spoiler alert. But they kind of touch on these things and then, okay, we're going to move on. And when you think about it, this movie's not even a hundred minutes long. 
they could have spent a, you know, an extra 10, 15, yeah. 20 minutes would have done an awesome job on this. I think it would have made this movie something that I, you know, we're all saying we really wanted to like this movie and there are parts of this movie I enjoy. And I could have walked out going, okay, it was an interesting, it was an interesting study of what is human to go back to what we discussed in Blade Runner from a person who is human, who was dehumanized and had to find his humanity. That could have been an interesting exploration versus replicants who are not human trying to become human. Right. But but we didn't do that, and that's unfortunate because I think you had you had all the pieces there to do that. So I will say that Paul Anderson can make these types of adventure movies, but he can't turn the corner and explore something with a little more depth, which is too bad because he he had the he had the makings of it there, I think. Yeah, I, I need to drag this back. We said we're going to talk about the other actors. We're still focusing on Kurt Russell. Let's talk about the other actors. Sure. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And there, right. are some, there are some good character actors in this movie. And there are. And I'm going to talk about the other one, Jason Isaacs. Um, he uh, is uh, Colonel Meekum that you see in this movie, and he plays a complete dickhead. <laughs> the only thing missing was his name being Colonel Snidely Whiplash. Oh, I thought we I had thought the mustache, Colonel, we had the uniform, we had the hair. Colonel Niedermeyer would be a better thing. Yeah, uh, that too. It was just so Snidely Whiplash, and that's not a knock on Jason Isaacs. He's a very good actor, but actually, I did have to give a hit to the uniforms in this movie too. The uniforms, you know, it's like when you see the different different people have different uniforms because you know, I, I think that like caught me. I don't know if you, you guys caught it, but it, it, that scene where they're having the confrontation and like the the, the contest between the, the trained soldiers versus the genetically altered soldiers or some sort of gym or hangar or something. And when they climb up, they pan down to the floor and there's a like a logo on the floor and it's like it's, it says something like American forces. So you go, oh, these are like these are American soldiers. In the, you know, some far future or near future. But then it's in Spanish, you know, Fuerzos Americanos. So I'm going, like, well, what's, what's America, what, what's this America in the future? And the different people wear different uniforms. And this character that we're talking about, uh, Colonel Meekum, I mean, pretty much, would you, would you agree it's basically a, uh, it's a Nazi uniform? I mean, uh, I was going to say, it, it, it reminded me of, he reminded me of kind of the priggish Montgomery character with a slightly colonial British uniform in, in Nazi gray. Uh, yeah, that, that, I'll pat, that actually, that's true. That's what, it's more like a, a British colonial with, in, in Nazi gray. I'll, I'll agree with you there. Different, I didn't quite catch that. My impression of his uniform, when he started walking up and he's got the, uh, the swagger stick and everything, I'm like, that I mean, I saw British RAF. Okay, now as as opposed to Gary Busey's uniform, which is I don't know quite how to describe it, but it's a it's more of a combat smock sort of an outfit, camo, camo you know, very practical looking. And again, Gary, Bu- I, I I like Gary Busey. Gary Busey pretty much chews up the scenery in any movie he's in. 
Well, he pretty much chewed it up all up in this movie. Oh, yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, Jason Isaacs. He was, uh, like I said, he was Colonel Meekum. And for those of you who don't know who Jason Isaacs is, he was, um, well, he's uh, Lucius Malfoy. Oh, I think most people, if you've seen Harry Potter, you know that. Yep. Well, he is in something else that we did. Oh, as a matter of fact, actually, he was in uh, Event Horizon. He was uh, doing Event Horizon with Paulus Anderson while uh, uh, Kurt Russell was getting in shape for this movie. So he was in that movie, too. Uh, he actually plays a pretty decent guy in that one. But uh, Jason Isaacs is one of those guys where if you need a uh, uh, some rat bastard character in a movie, he's your man. But he's a great actor. I love the guy. Uh, Connie Nielsen. I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, just speaking for Jeff, I would say she's moderately attractive. All right. What do you think of Connie Nielsen, Steve? I would probably face plant on the sidewalk if I saw her face to face because I think the woman is absolutely stunning. Uh, she's from, uh, Denmark. She, uh, from, uh, from according to her IMDB profile, she's from, uh, Frederick Schaben, and I'm, I know I completely screwed that up, Denmark, and uh, I'm pretty much convinced that anybody from Scandinavia is uh, absolutely gorgeous. You do not produce ugly people over there, so uh, there you go. So I, I, I would agree. I think she's very attractive in this movie, and just in general. Yeah. I, I'm gonna, I have to say that uh, for those of you that have not seen this movie and, don't, and have not really I mean, her name isn't on your lips. You have probably seen her in Gladiator. Yep. Yes. She played Lucilla in Gladiator, the female lead in Gladiator. Although, I mean, in this movie, she's, you know, has blonde hair. In that movie, she has brown hair. But, I mean, it's, she is more than moderately attractive. And I'm going to say she strikes me as an intelligent actress who does a good job in this role. Decent role. I mean, a fair amount of it's running and screaming and that kind of stuff. But uh, what little bit of character building and humanity building Kurt Russell gets is usually in interactions with her. Well, and again, the problem with this movie is there's just not enough character development for any of the yeah. characters. You want to like these characters or you want to root against them, but you don't get enough time to get invested in any of them. No, and another actor that's in this that I think most of our people, our listeners will know is Michael Chiklis. Yep. He's done a lot of heavy duty work. I mean, most of, most people know that Michael Chiklis is sort of a heavy, intimidating element in a movie, but in this one, he comes off as kind of a nice guy. Yeah, and he's in The Shield on Fox. Well, and the other one is Gary Busey. Mm-hmm. You like his character. You kind of want to root for him. Well, you yeah. always root for Gary Busey, I mean, uh, other than Lethal Weapon, but, I mean, Gary well, that Busey. And, that and um, the other one you don't root for him in is um, Under oh, Siege. Oh, Under Siege. Yeah, but again, his character in this movie, he's a pretty straight arrow guy. Just try, you know, He doesn't like the cards he's been dealt, but, I mean, it's his job, and he's going forward and doing what he has to do. Yep. I always have to put in the plug for Gary Busey. My, my favorite Gary Busey role is in the TV series Entourage, where Gary Busey is a recurring character. His character is Gary Busey. It's himself, but a whacked-out, extreme, freaky version of himself. It's a hoot to watch if you haven't seen Entourage. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gary I, Busey has become his, has become a he, he's yeah he's become his own product. 
versus an actor. And that's okay. Yeah. When I looked at his IMDB profile, uh, he is in post-production. He is supposed to be Uncle Seymour rumored in a movie called Bikini Model Academy. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and he is, uh, top build is Gary Busey, uh, Morgan Fairchild. I'm, I'm afraid. Morgan Fairchild. Yeah. That's, that's, that's dating. All of us. Yeah. That's. Now, um, now, did you talk about Sean Pertwee? Have we mentioned him? We have not mentioned Sean Pertwee. Okay. And. Plays the husband. Yes. And I do want to talk about the fact that Sean Pertwee actually I thought was one of the better actors in this movie. He dies, um, what I would say is an interesting death. I yeah. could have figured that they could have tied that thing off and at that point in time figured out some way to save him. He just kind of like lost his leg before the knee, but okay. Um, won't go that, that point there, but, um, no, I thought the guy was pretty good. And I mean, he's been, and as a matter of fact, he was, uh, he was in Event Horizon too with, uh, yeah. Jason Isaacs and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. So there you go. Well, and two hey. movies that I recommend you what if you can rent them or pick them up on streaming that he's in that are kind of I don't want to say they're good but they're entertaining are is the movie Dog Soldiers Oh that's awesome Yeah and then you know what is I'm that talking the one about with, with Christopher Walken No it's um it takes place there Scottish the Dogs soldiers of War. I'm sorry yeah, it's they're Scottish soldiers on a training exercise, and they run into werewolves. Well, and then the other one is the Outpost. If you haven't seen that one, again, you know, there we we actually have that thing about doing dog soldiers. I had told yeah about that. It's not oh, it, 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 it's pretty good, and then so is Outpost. Yeah, in a where, where, where sort is the dog soldiers set? What what it, what what area or nationality is it? Set it's in, in Scotland, and it's. British soldiers who are on maneuvers. What do you think about Island. that, Steve? Because you know what he said is from Scotland. And if it's a Scottish, it's crap. There you go. That's why I did it, brother, for you. <laughs> I I had to draw it in. Yeah, you had Step to paint a picture step. for him. You had to lead him by his nose. I know. Like I'm sitting going, Scotland. up at any minute. And I'm like, no, he's just sitting there. No, I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't want Oh, okay. You're polite. But the, yeah, the other one is Outpost. We, What's Outpost? It takes place late in World War II, and some GIs or Brits find a Nazi hidden bunker. And guess what's in the hidden bunker? Uh, super soldiers? Zombie super soldiers. Oh, I'm there. That. There you go. It, you know, it is what it is, but it's it's entertaining. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm looking at his I am. DB profile. This dude's doing shit constantly. Oh, oh yeah, a lot He's a of good people. actor. Yeah, this guy obviously doesn't sleep. I mean, he never made the jump to A list, but he's a good B list character, and I mean, they draw him in. Yeah, he does a lot of um, British uh, masterpiece theater kind of work. Okay. No, I, mean, I, mean, I do. I, I really enjoyed him in this movie. Yeah. I thought he was really cool. And, uh, I mean, again, Dog Soldiers. Oh, my God. We have got to do that. <laughs> We're I haven't seen it. I mean, oh, I no it's, it's worth a watch. Yes, it's okay. awesome. It is definitely. Look, anybody who does voice work on Ultramarines, a Warhammer 40K movie. Yeah. Good in my book. 
I, I do think we're leaving one important person out in this movie, and that's Jason Scott Lee. Yeah. He, he is the nemesis. He is Kurt Russell's white whale. Yeah. The white whale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Sick, yeah, he's been in, um, you know, he's been in some stuff. I mean, he's still working, uh, kind of hitting this here and there, but, uh, I mean, he's still doing stuff. I mean, he's known for, uh, he was in a movie called The Dragon, uh, Back to the Future 2. Oh, good Lord. He was doing that back way. And then he was doing, uh, I, I think some obviously voiceover work in Lilo and Stitch, but, um, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he was kind of a badass. Uh, you didn't want to mess with this dude. No. Although I do have to say that Kurt Russell dealt him a serious wound. And obviously the government, you know, doesn't feel like they want to go to specialists. They went to some generic replacement person to get his wound fixed. But if you think back to Blade Runner. I just do eyes. He just, they should have gone to some guy who just does eyes. I, they you know, if they would have gotten James Hong, he would have been fine. Really? Mark saw it too. Yep. I did. I'm sitting there going the whole time I'm watching when he loses his eye. I'm going, I just do eyes. You know, I, I and that was <laughs> they, a first. They went to eyes or us. They didn't yep. go to James Hong. Yeah, they went to the Walmart of eyes. I just do eyes. See? <laughs> See? That's right. Huh? Just do eyes. Just saying. Yeah, well, let's see. We got Gary Busey. We we pretty much covered the uh, the topless yeah. actors in this movie. So uh, I think. And you know, guys, soundtrack. What do you think? Huh? There was one. I didn't really. There wasn't anything here. It's it was not memorable. Yeah. No. Too much theme music. It did. It didn't do anything. It wasn't blowing my skirt up. It's like, eh, whatever. I, I didn't even realize there was one. I, that's how. If I paid more attention, maybe I would have yeah. picked it up. Yeah. Pretty uh, non-existent. All right. Since we have no comments on soundtrack, we're going to move on to uh, favorite scenes. What was your favorite scene? What was your worst scene? What do you guys think? I, I'll kick it off if you want. I'll please, Mark. Please right. help me out here. All right. You know, I'll tell you what I liked about this movie. I like the opening part of it. Uh, the entire opening thing I thought was probably the best part of the movie where they showed pretty much how the soldiers were being trained and everything. I thought it was kind of neat, you know, how they got them from birth. I'm assuming they were selected for some reason. There's something, and I'm trying to remember when those guys were going all the cribs and they would put a little tag that said 1A. That... For for the life of me, there's something there's some significance about that. Well, and that would be similar to what they did in World War II. You were either one A or you were three F. That they rated you yeah. based on physicality and defects or non defects. Yep, that was it. One A, you got drafted. Yep, three F, you didn't. Yeah, that was it. Thank you, Mark. Very good. I live to serve. You get a cookie. Oh, yeah, chocolate chip. Whatever you want. Ooh, I want a chocolate chip cookie. No. You gotta work for it, Ken. You gotta earn it. Damn it. That's right. <laughs> All know, right. The thing, the one thing that bothered me about that opening scene is the same thing that bothers me with a lot of those movies is it says it starts in 1996. Well, just, yeah. Just, just advance the timetable to 2126 or 2026. And and that's a pet peeve I have with a lot of movies. That's not just this movie. Right. 
Well, we've talked about that before in sci-fi yeah, yeah. movies is that they don't, they don't go far out enough. I right. mean, they, they think it's like, well, 30 years from now, we're going to be like going to Pluto or whatever. I'm like, you know, 30 years from now, we'll be lucky we can do another fucking moon launch. Did I say and that? That's what I give credit to Babylon 5. You know, yeah. they, they threw this thing forward about 200 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to go out a couple of centuries because we're like, well, it catches up to you. I mean, it, yeah. at the time, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but then now, a couple decades later, we're looking at it going like, really, dudes? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because, again, all this stuff that's happening in the movie is like, the early scenes of the movie are now, and that's not happening. Sorry. Yep. So, anyway, I did. I like those, I, you know, I like that part of it. That was, those were kind of like pretty much my favorite scenes of the movie. I'm going to say I like the scenes with Meekum versus Gary Busey's captain character. Again, not the central focus of the movie, but interesting back and forth. You know, and then it all led to sort of a bad place for certain people. Yeah. I did like the scene where they realize that they are obsolete. That whole training scene between the two. Yeah, because yeah. you could see where the old soldiers were kind of like, we have no other purpose in life. Right. And even when that one lieutenant was going up there saying, you don't even have to salute me anymore, you're, you almost saw like the heartbreak in that one guy's eyes. Was right. That- now, the thing I did that bothered me in this movie, there were things, we were touching on things that bothered me. It's just the thing, the overarching thing that bothered me from, from a, a standpoint of, tactics is just the utter stupidity does anybody have night vision we are all just going to stomp along in a line like this is the 18th century it's hollywood tactics i I know it's just it's just so god awful it just jumps out at you it's so bad all right Uh, like that one scene where they're well, we could walk along on the ground, but let's immerse ourselves up to the chests in water instead. Right. Like, why? I'm not going to get all wet if I don't have to. All right. Well, since we're there, I'm just going to go there right now. Here's the biggest problem I have with, with the movie. I liked the concept. I liked what they were trying to do with this thing. I just thought the delivery was very poor. And I would like to see this done again. Like you said. Uh, Mark, you know, let's walk out without night vision because you know what? You know, we had that shit like in the nineties. Um, <laughs> late eighties. Yeah. Late eighties. Seventies. Uh, vision. Yeah. Seventies. Yeah. For helicopters. Yeah. We had that stuff back then, except no, we're going to walk out wearing gas masks, a cape. Why do I have a cape? Because you know what a cape does? That shit slows me down. Because if I have to start running, you know what that does? It it catches wind and it slows. It might be a ballistic cloth cape that protects them from shrapnel. No, it doesn't. It slows you down. Okay. Well, you know the other thing. That's from, why they have body armor. You know the other thing from the movie The Incredibles. The reason you have no cape because if you have a cape and you're anywhere near an engine system, you'll well, get sucked into it. Thank you. There's that. Well, okay. you know, Steve, in your defense or whatever, maybe they will remake this. Because, you know, they're remaking RoboCop as we speak. Why? I didn't think RoboCop needed remaking. It did need remaking, and that's a whole nother freaking podcast, is that why are they remaking movies 
that don't need to be remade, and there's a shit ton of stuff out there that they can do that has never been made, but that's a whole other... Out of ideas. (laughs) Well, they're not out of ideas. They just don't want to go off into anything that might be 1% riskier than just doing a remake. They're lazy, and they they are tied to the financial statements and predictions. Well, you know what? I, I don't... Man, yeah, I'm not even gonna go there because that's that's gonna. I'll, I'll jump out. I'll throw it out. You've heard yeah, you say it before. I, I refuse if they to... would just make Janissaries into a movie, yep. it would be awesome. Oh, and or make space vikings or space vikings, it would make a fortune. But they won't touch it because it hasn't been all poll tested and everything else, and they can't guarantee the return on the investment. And it's not PC enough. Half the right. stuff that Purnell or Heinlein has done, they could put in the movies, but they won't touch it. So. No. No. Shit. So trivia. Guaranteed movie maker. You can be doing lines of blow off of hookers, you Hollywood SOBs. <laughs> but you won't do it because you're cowards. Okay, trivia. How so, about some trivia? All right, let's see. Trivia. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna re- this is the biggest piece of trivia I'm gonna have right now because it's awesome. And it's, this is for all of you sci-fi geeks and movie geeks out there. I love it. Todd's service record displayed on a computer screen includes the following. The Battles of Tannhauser Gate and Shoulder of Orion are references to Blade Runner. Receipt of Pliskin Patch. Reference to Escape from New York and sequel Escape from L.A. Receipt of the O'Neill Ring Award is a reference to Stargate. Receipt of Cash Medal of Honor reference to Tango and Cash. I love it. It gets better. Receipt of the McCready Cross reference to The Thing. Receipt of Captain Ron Trophy reference to (laughs) Ron. Receipt of McCaffrey. McCaffrey Fire Award, reference to Backdraft. Receipt of the Dexter Riley Award is a reference to the strongest man in the world. Now you see him, now you don't. The computer wore tennis shoes. Citations <laughs> for Nimbus Moon's campaign, the Antares Maelstrom War, and the War of Perdition's Flames are all referenced in Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. I love it. If you were paying attention and you're a sci-fi geek like us, none of that stuff should have went by you. And if it did, you have failed me for the last time. Oh, when I saw the McCready cross, I howled. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All that is great. You know, he also is fully qualified to the M4A1 pulse rifle from Aliens. (laughs) And the BFG. Yep. The BFG from from Doom. Yep, he was. Absolutely. Don't mess with this. He's a bad mofo. Watch your mouth. All right. Uh, let's see. Writer David Webb Peoples has said that Soldier is a sidequel to Blade Runner, which he also wrote, because it takes place in the same universe. And, in fact, the vehicles used by Blade Runner, spinners, are also used in Soldier. So that, I, I don't remember that. But there's, some, there's a junk spinner in the pile of crap. Mm-hmm. You have to look as close. It's just a glimpse, but there's a wrecked spinner in there. Okay, got it. Uh, Let's see. A false press statement was released saying that Kurt Russell broke his ankle during a stunt when, in fact, he tripped over an ornamental cabbage during a break. Well, there you go. Oh, you've got to do the space modulator. 
Uh, oh. <laughs> I missed it. I missed it. Okay, while listing the weapons Todd is trained upon, you can see he is capable of using the Illudium PU-36 ESM, otherwise known as the Illudium PU-36 Explosive Space Modulator. This is the same weapon <laughs> <Marvin> <laughs> the Martian is always threatening to use on Earth in his Bugs Bunny cartoons. Wow. All right. Cor- I love that stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. All right. Uh, according to Paul W.S. Anderson, Kurt Russell worked out three or four hours a day for 18 months to get himself into the pumped up condition we see in this film. I'll tell you right now, I've been working longer than that. <laughs> I don't look any, anything like Kurt Russell in this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm it's just, the hair. I'm, 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 I'm kind of an Adonis, I think, but. Uh, I think I need to take some more chemical enhancing. Oh, just just a quick thing. What's that comment on Facebook that your wife made about you recently? About what? What did I say? Oh, the trophy to... husband theory. Well, because when I want to be a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I said I told I said, honey, why don't I just stay home? I could just stay home all day. I'll be a, a stay-at-home dad. I could hang out at the gym and I could be your trophy husband. She's like, that sounds like a great idea. And then I realized her idea of me being a trophy husband was my head mounted over the uh, <laughs> As it should be. So I just like, you know, I'm going to go back to work. So Well, I, I'll yeah. say this, you know, and I've said it before. I may, have, I may have said it on one of these podcasts. If I was going to be paid like something like 10 or 20 million to look good and buff and toned, I would look like that. But nobody wants to give me that kind of money to let me just devote my life to looking good. Yeah, so therefore, uh, I spend my life sitting in my car driving around the state of Indiana talking to people, getting pudgy every day. Ken, <laughs> I don't mean to pop your – burst your bubble here, pal. But if, if you had that kind of time, you'd just look like Loki from Thor. You'd not look like Thor. Well, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> You're right, but I a, a man can dream. But Loki's still, but Loki's still pretty good. Loki's it's still not, good. Not I, 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 I'd be happy to look like Loki. I'm sure Loki has um, is not um, having any issues with uh, beating women off of him. So oh, no. I'm sure he's fine. Ew. As it were. Ew. Yeah. All right. Uh, short of people. Uh, of a stature of 5.7 inches tall, world average, like Jeff Muncy, were used in the scenes with the large military vehicles to make the machines look larger. 5.7 inches? They were really tiny. Well, I'm just... Five that's what seven inches. Oh, that's right. That's what he was supposed to say. Because you know what? You know, if you're not here, you're going to get dicked at some point. That's, that's right. right. Yep. As you deserve. Yep. Among the garbage on the planet is the USS Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the FX-117X Remora from Executive Decision, a spinner from Blade Runner, and a piece of the Lewis and Clark from Horizon. Cool. I love it. That's awesome. I I like that stuff. That's great. I love that. I I mean, I love callbacks in movies. I love that. That that just, that is what really made this movie, because I'm sitting there going, oh, I know that. I've seen that. That's it's awesome. cheap and easy, and guys like us love it. Most people yep. goes right over their head. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, 
Among the garbage in the ship that slides towards Todd when he gets dumped on the planet is the Liberty Bell. Nice. The Liberty Bell? Yep. The yeah. Liberty Bell. I saw a bell. I didn't realize it was the Liberty Bell. Yep. yep. Well, yeah. I guess that whole America is a dark place in the future. Probably. All right. The movie's original title was The Base. Thank God they changed that one. Yeah, I can see why they changed it. And uh, let's see. Um, Kurt Russell's paycheck, as we talked about, for the mil- uh, <laughs> Kurt Russell's paycheck for the film was twenty million, as I refer to as the Great Train Robbery. Wow. Well, and did you see who else was up for this role? We're getting there. Wow. And last, and certainly not least, are you <laughs> kidding? <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Was originally no. <laughs> yes, Keanu Reeves. Well, you know, to be honest with you, if you wanted to get somebody that was actually perfectly robotic, sure, that that's what they should have got. Was oh, what would where would Keanu Reeves's career be in 1997? He'd done Matrix and all, or was that a few years later? Matrix was like a year later, wasn't it, Mark? Because you and I went. To uh, I think it Matrix was like, like 2000 or. No, man. No, 99. You're right. It was a year later. It was 99. Yeah, it was. With the rare exception, drags down any movie. Even The Matrix, which he's famous for, I think there's a lot of people that could have done that better. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, that's a whole other story there. Bobcat Goldwyn. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. <laughs> You're never going to hear that again in our podcast, folks. Nope. So savor it now. No, nope, pretty much. That's it. We're done. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> God, I got to save us. I got to save us. All right, gentlemen. It is now time for brother. What are we drinking? Ken, do I start with you or are you going to surprise us or do you have your usual? No, I'm going to surprise you. No, you're going to surprise us, Mark. It's, it's up to you, bud. I, I gotta save go him first. You gotta save him. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fall. It's November. It's it's cooler. It's darker. So I've turned to the darker, warmer beers, and I'm enjoying one of those breweries that Steve. I think I can say you'll agree with me on this. Is just an outstanding brewer of beers. Founders. Ooh. I am drinking the Founders Porter. Isn't that a good? You've had it, haven't you? Oh my God! They're it sounds poor. good. Oh, it's dark. It's rich. It's very silky. It's very smooth. It doesn't have a coffee flavor. It is just an elegant porter. There's no other word for it but elegant. It's just a wonderful porter. Yeah. For this, and I'm I like stouts, but I'm not like Jeff. Jeff is our stout fiend. But give me a porter. It, that's a perfect. That's just that's just the level I want to run at right now. And oh my God, Founders does it so well. Mm-hmm. They make great beer, but by God, they blow it out the door with the Founders Porter. I'm a huge fan of their stuff. It's um it's pricey, but um it's good. And- you know, you are getting your money's worth. That's my trade off. Yeah, I'll pay the extra buck for yep. really good beer. And to be honest with you, a lot of these beers that we talk about, some of them, it's like when you look at it, some of them come in four packs or six packs. Even the four packs can be pricey, but when you figure what I've always done when I see a four pack, and sometimes they go, oh, well, it's, it's 12 bucks. It's like, 
well, it's four, it's three bucks a beer. That's, I'm pretty much paying that for a freaking Bud Light at any bar. Maybe 250, so it's another buck for like something really good. You're getting, you're getting a bargain and it's yeah. good beer. It's good beer. And, and founders, like I said, you're, you're not going to go wrong with that. Founders, Bells, I mean, yep. Michigan, Michigan has two terrific breweries in Founders and Bells. Yeah. Well, that, well, wait, I got another one for you. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> but Founders Porter, if you love a Porter, it's ten bucks for a six pack, well worth it. Yep. Oh, oh, ten bucks for a six pack? Shit. Yeah. That's that's no well worth that, it. That, they're almost giving it away there. Yep. All right, Mr. Roney, what do you got, sir? Talk to us. Well, I need to set the stage. Well, and that is, you know, about a month ago I went on an excursion to the Southlands. Past Mark's outpost. Uh, and while I was down that way and doing my research and getting ready for my vacation, I made an interesting discovery. I don't think I told you guys this, but, you know, one of my favorite beverages every day, pretty much, is Mountain Dew. It's my caffeine delivery system. <laughs> and I learned an interesting bit of trivia about Mountain Dew. Do you know what that trivia is? Mm. Here goes. It was originally invented back in the 30s in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the inventor intended that it serve as a mixer with whiskey. And so tonight I'm drinking a Mountain Dew and Maker's Mark. Well, thank God you didn't say Woodford Reserve or I'd have to drive up there and take no, a No, no, I, I wouldn't waste that quality on this. And I will say this, it's sort of a whiskey sour sort of effect when you mix it up. You know, if I, if I was doing this again, I'd probably put in a squeeze of lime or a shot of lem, uh, lime juice or something to make it a little more tart. But it's, I can see where maybe on a hot summer day, this would be pretty good. Uh, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm drinking it. It's almost all gone. You were watching uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou before this, weren't you? <laughs> no, I wasn't. But it's 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 different. I'll just say, and I, I, I'm seeing a, a trend that I'm seeing. I, I'm babbling here, but when I'm going out on the town, bumping into friends and drinking establishments, I'm seeing more and more people drinking like Mountain Dew and vodka or flavored vodkas or something like that. Mountain Dew is starting to slip into the mixer category. I never thought of it that way at all. I just thought of it as cheap caffeine delivery system. But this is not bad. And uh, on a hot summer day, maybe next year, you might want to give it a shot and give it a taste. It's, you know, it, it's going down smooth. It's going down easy. I will say one negative about it. <laughs> Looking at the glass, it's almost like I just like grabbed an empty glass and strolled down to White River and just scooped <laughs> up a big chunk of river water and drank away. Wow. Yeah. And that's my brother, what you're drinking. Obviously, I'm actually, you can probably tell, I'm, I think this alcohol is having a little bit of an effect on me. Cause you think? I think it did because I. Well, I, you know, also, it's about half a glass of Baker's Mark and about half a glass of Mountain Dew. He's here all week, folks. Try the veal. I was How about say, you, Steve? Did Muncie like possess him or something like that? <laughs> He's channeling the penny. 
All right, I am having it's, it's, right. I'm giving you guys a history lesson. I did. I always figured Mountain Dew was like invented in the '60s just to be a cheap, flavorful caffeine delivery system for pop drinkers. I didn't know it had this long whiskey association. Well, thank you for sharing. And Steve? I will have a high quality whiskey. I, I think I will agree. Maker's Mark is no, not. no. Maker's oh. is mid road. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't defame any. Like, I got a bottle of Woodford down there. I wouldn't defame that or defile it by putting it I'd in there. I'd take it away from you if you did. I know. I had this image of when I said this tonight, Mark would just be like, you hear the <laughs> door and a car firing up. <laughs> Was Is it your my name? turn yet? Is it? It's your turn. It's your podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm just. I never heard Ken talk about how much he drank before, so I, I was just enjoying the ride. I am <laughs> drinking, folks. <laughs> this is going to be a real short review of this one. I am drinking the one oatmeal stout from the Dark Horse Brewing Company out of Marshall, Michigan. Uh, there's a Michigan brewery thing going up there. Yeah, it's Dark Horse Brewing Company. What's it like? I, I Let's put it this way. I would not call this an oatmeal stout as they describe it in the bottle. I, I would say this is more like your classic stout. There's a little bit more hop in it. For an oatmeal stout, it's got a little bit more of a bite than I'm used to. But then again, I'm a little bit more used to uh, uh, like the Bell's stout or what I get from Rock Bottom. It's good. Uh, would I get it again? Yes. I'll get a four-pack of it. It's uh, The four-packs are about, uh, at least where I go, 21st Amendment, they're about uh, $11.99 for four-pack. It's worth it. Don't worry. I'll drink it all. It's very good. Hmm. But um, are there better ones out there? I've had better than this. Well, let's put it this way. Anytime Rock Bottom and Liz makes an oatmeal stout, get out of the way. I'm, I'll just camp out there all night for that. But I no, agree this is, with you. Rock Bottom does good stuff. Yeah, yes, they, they do. Yeah, they do. But no, this is a good oatmeal stout. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you like stouts, this is a good one. All right, folks, that is it uh, with uh, Brother What You Drinking. So we're going to go on to clips, our favorite part of the show. And uh, uh, guys, there's not much here. I pulled what I could because, like I said, when the main characters got... <laughs> you found one of Kurt Russell's words yeah actually i don't know how many of these actually have kurt russell in it but we'll 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 find out all right i'm not even going to preface it i'm just going to play him and we're going to go all right number one my daddy was in maintenance and he had a saying he used to say if it ain't broke don't fix it and you know what uh my grandpa had that saying too i think my dad had that saying that's an old saying yes it works yeah this is after Kurt Russell pulled the eye out of his nemesis, and uh, his nemesis came down and uh, was being reprimanded. What good is this man now? He's got no death perception. All he can do is walk point and take the first hit. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you know what Kurt Russell should have done at that point? He should have jumped up and said, that's a bunch of bullshit about the depth perception, because when I was Snake Plissken, I had an eye patch, and I saved... <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. Right. Just well, saying. he was teamed up with Ernest Borgnine there, and Ernest Borgnine <laughs> well, was nowhere yeah. in the movie. 
Yeah, I had an eye patch. I had Ernest Borgnine. I had uh, uh, Adrian Barbeau. Which, you know, right there, there's two reasons why people's depth perception was off, because she was... Adrian Barbeau? <laughs> and Wog! That would throw off my depth perception. Yeah. Well, she would anyway. Well, I've, I, I've said it before. I wasn't I wasn't a fan of her hair, but that's all right. Uh, let's see. I, hair, she had hair? Huh? Number three. Todd was our best man. You still don't get it, do you, Captain? Your men are obsolete. Charming. Yep. Uh, let's see. Number four. I heard words on his shoulder. Ten house a gate. Argentine sector. Shanghai 2012. Sandra, the Tannhauser Gate was a battle. He's a soldier. I don't like that. Tannhauser Gate, they talk about that in Blade Runner. There's all those little references back. If you're total geeks like us, you'll know that. Yeah, Shoulder of Orion is also mentioned. Yep. Uh, let's see, number five. You're not a deserter, are you, Sergeant? No, sir. Then how come you're not with your unit? Oh, come on, slave. Will you let the man eat? It's not an unreasonable question. How about it, Sergeant? I was replaced. Replaced? By a better soldier, sir. I also need prunes in my diet. Yeah. There was yeah, not, not the most emotional delivery. Yeah. All right, number six. They spotted people. Two civilians, unarmed. They killed both of them. They spotted smoke from some sort of camp. Jesus Christ, a camp? Excellent. This will be very good experience for the men. Let's see how they do. If they're civilians, they need to be protected. Whoever they are, they don't belong there. Especially their hostels. And that is Jason Isaacs that you heard at the end. And he's just this, yeah, one of those guys. Army SOB. Yeah. And you just like, God, he is just so hateful. But he's one of those guys I think gets typecasted in his roles because he's really, all you had to do was put the blonde wig on him and you're like, oh, it's Lucius Malfoy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Pretty much. Uh, let's see. Number six. Yeah. That's all he does. That's all he does in this. All right, number seven. Do you know how many there will be? Seventeen more, sir. Oh, my God, you can't fight seventeen on your own. You you have to organize us. We're not cowards. We're, we'll do as you tell us. We'll fight. No. Why not? Soldiers deserve soldiers, sir. Bad music in the background. It was music, but like I said, it, it was forgivable, forgettable, not forgivable, forgettable music. Yep. Uh, let's see. This is, I love this part here. Last quote. But one soldier gets 17. What are you going to do? I'm going to kill them all, sir. It goes back to, again, he's been trained that this is all he knows is a, Military, you know, chain of command sort of thing, mm-hmm. and and he's struggling. He's struggling with the idea that okay, he's outside of it, but that's all he knows. He doesn't know how to communicate with anybody else. 
And I appreciate that, but it was just, he was too robotic. There had to have been some sense of feeling because I think humans, I mean, you can't completely drive out the emotional part of us. I don't know. I'm just, I, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I'm just saying it's like he was almost to the point, even when he cut his finger, when he was cooking that time, we didn't even talk about that. It was just like, all right, cut my finger. I'm going to keep going. It's like, um, you still have feelings, nerve endings. I mean, they, they pushed that trope too far, but again, they didn't explore the human side of it either. So you just kind of went, uh, okay. Right. They had to beat it in to let you know that that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Again, I go back to the director. He just didn't have a clear vision of where he wanted to take the exploration of that character. And there were elements of it that looked promising, but as a whole, it falls pretty flat when that could have not, not being, not been woe is me, Dr. Phil bullshit, but could have been an interesting transformation of the character from someone who did not, who had to learn how to manage that which had been beaten out of him. Right. And I agree with you, Mark. I think that was it. This was a great story. I think you have some good actors in there, but I really do blame the director on this one. It's like you did not deliver this right. All right, folks, that is it with uh, Brother What You're Drinking and a couple of our thoughts. So it is now time for the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Number one. Did anyone jump out of a window? Ooh, that's a really good question. Yes. There was a scene when the replicants slash genetically altered soldiers were attacking the civilians. And the soul, one of the evil gas mask cape soldiers was confronting a cowering mass of civilians when suddenly through the skylight window above, Crashed Sergeant Todd. Yes. Death and destruction upon the near do well. Well done. So outstanding, Mr. Ryan. It, yep. Also, it was not just a jump to the window, it was a slow mo jump through the window. Yes. <laughs> it was watching the glass slowly fall. Alright. Let's see. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? I don't know. I, I think the uh, Connie Nielsen's husband was sort of a leave Tyler role. Ooh. Wow. You know, she really didn't seem all that upset when she found out that, uh, you know, her yeah. husband, father of her child, was horribly killed. She was like, oh, okay. So what do you want us to do? I'll give that one to Ken. Uh, bravo. Yeah. Yeah. There's Connie. There's, there's the Liv Tyler. Yeah. Which is too bad because the actor himself is a good actor. Yeah, I yeah. like this character, but like yeah. he, he sort of just walked out, died, and okay, well he's gone. Let's move on. <laughs> wow, that kind of makes this. <laughs> and Connie Nielsen's going like, I got this big hunk of beefcake. I can do something with him. <laughs> He'll be fine for my son. <laughs> big uncle beefcake. I'm gonna market that. I'm gonna find, I'm gonna sell some big hunkle beefcake on Amazon. Alright, uh, let's see. Could the, uh, wow. Could the, uh, Liv Tyler role be better played by? Here I go again. 
Wouldn't you love to have seen her dropped from a trash hauler to be laid out upon the USS Franklin Delano Roosevelt? I thought the hood of a spinner. Oh, absolutely. You know, Tawny Katane could have pulled this off in 98. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah, she could have pulled this off. She could pull this off now. I mean, the, the, the woman is still is in her prime. Just saying. There you go. Well, for you or me, she's in her prime today. All right, uh, let's see, uh, number, uh, whatever the hell this is. Was there an AT montage in this movie? Yes. Can you, can. No, Mark, Mark. No, can you first? No, no, Mark, I insist. I was going to say, my AT moment, the only thing missing was we didn't have a cigar clenched in our mouth. When we rose from the frigid waters to gun down the evil replicants, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, but they did. They, I have to say, they did not have the classic eighteen montage where, like, the settlers go into a room and cobble together some improvised explosives or something like that, or some weird vehicle. No. Uh, you didn't have that scene where Todd stripped all the weapons off of the dead, you know, point soldiers and uh, was sort of like putting together his plan, but not the same. I'm going to say no. No. But we did have. But if he had a clenched cigar, it would have been close. Yeah. But we we did have, we had the very obscure cone on the barbarian camouflage scene. Oh, yeah. When Todd is putting his tiger stripe camo on, oh. just like Conan from the movie. Yes. <laughs> also, a little throwback to Predator, right? Yes. Okay, we're getting our geek really on tonight. Holy cow. Well, this movie, they intentionally gave homages to a lot oh. of other movies that we like. Yep. Yeah. And that's what, and to be honest with you guys, that's what I love about this movie is because when you start thinking about it, that's what it was. It was an homage to all these great sci-fi movies that we all loved and, you know, back from our past. All right. And last and not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? Yes. Uh, there's a few. Two. Did you notice that? Yeah. The magnificent bastard. Yeah. Mark. Steve, if you caught him, go with it. No, you go with it. If you no. got them both. No, no. All right, we'll split it's... it. You do one and I'll do one. Or right, you do one. All right, I'll do Max Daniels. <laughs> All right. Max played, I think, one of the standard soldiers. Yep. And he was in, he was a stuntman in three episodes of Babylon 5. Yep. So that's one. And then you got the other one. And he was a stunt in, uh, three of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are some major episodes he was in. Yep. All right. Uh, number two was James Black, who played Riley, who had quite a bit of, uh, play in this movie. Yeah. He was the black soldier. Yeah. He was, um, actually he was an NFL player too. And was he really? Yeah. He played in the NFL for a couple of years and, uh, became an actor, but he was a security guard in Voices of a torte. torte. I, said, I said that with my... Uh, South Park. 
Yep. My Cartman s- voice. Yeah, and I have my uh, Cartman voice and I have my uh, uh, sunglasses on when I said that. So, yeah, so we, we had two. on your big wheel? Yeah. <laughs> I should. I, Mar- I Steve, or Steve I don't care how often you say it, I don't respect you. <laughs> That's all right. He never will. Doesn't matter. I'm buying a big wheel. Just every time this thing oh. comes up, I'm going to just say it. So there you go. Voices of Authority. Uh, James Black. He was, uh, he played Riley in this one and he was security guard number one. Yeah. Not number two. No. He was number one I'm because. I'm sorry for him. Yeah. Muncie. There you go, buddy. You aren't here. We can pick up the slack when you're not here. That's right. We can do the work without you, slacker. Booyah! <laughs> All right, folks, that is it with, uh, let's see, we've got, uh, let's see, uh, clips, uh, checklist, and now it's time for the review. The review of this great and fantastic film. Uh, Ken, I'm, I'm throwing this one out to you. You got a benchmarker for us, buddy. Okay. To start out, I think I was the one that threw this name out originally way back when we were doing some other review. Uh, Blade Runner, probably. And as I said at the start of the uh, podcast, I saw this back when, you know, shortly after it first came out on cable. I liked it. I thought interesting, uh, interesting story. You know, a lot of it's tropish, but I mean, it's a movie. I enjoyed it. The whole thing of, you know, he's he's been detached from humanity. He's a killing machine. Now he's trying to link up. You know, was it done perfectly? No, we've talked about that. This movie sadly needs about an extra 15 or 20 minutes of dialogue and interaction, character building to make it really punchy. And they, they didn't do that. Uh, it's what it is. Having said that, when I first saw it, if you would have asked me back then, like in 1997 or whatever, what I would give it, I probably would have given it a seventh, maybe an eight. Today, I'll give it a six. We've had a couple movies lately where it falls in that category of like, when I saw it years back, I was going, oh yeah, right on, this is a great movie. And now when I go back and look at it again, I'm like, well, you know, not so much. I mean, I see the gaps in it now. I'm, I'm older and wiser and I've seen other things. So that's where I'm at on this. I'm going to give it a, a 6.5. I like it. I think it's worth catching. If you haven't seen it, by all means, catch it. Uh, you'll have to go out and get it because it doesn't appear on AMC or cable or anything like that. I haven't seen it that way for ages. That's it. All right. Um, Mark, what do you say, sir? Uh, yeah, Ken nailed a lot of it. It is streaming on Amazon. If you're a Prime member, it is streaming for free. So you can pick it up that way. You know, we're all fans of Kurt Russell. I think that's safe to say. And Ken nailed it. It's it's one of those movies that could have benefited from another 15 minutes the, to to do some more exploration and exposition of the characters. The effects are very workmanlike. They're very sim. I would say almost uh, basic. Uh, workmanlike is the best term. Nothing fancy. The script is pretty pretty vanilla. I think in the hands of a better director, this could have. Uh, or if the director had more time or bigger budget to vote to devote to it, this could have been something more interesting, especially with some character explanation or exploration of why people are motivated to do what they are doing. Um, it's one of those you want 
you really want this to be more than what it is because there's a lot of potential here and you you're rooting for this movie to be something that it just doesn't quite deliver which is unfortunate because it's got some good actors and it's got some interesting concepts I'm like Ken. I'm going to fall this in the six and a half category. I want to like this movie, but I just can't give it a higher recommendation. I would say if you haven't seen it and you're a Kurt Russell fan, if you do like the genre and if you like the, the callbacks to, to the geekdom of, of, of sci-fi or, um, uh, computer games that are thrown in there, that that's kind of a nice little homage, but it's not going to make or break um, a desire to come run and watch this movie. But if you like that, it's worth checking out. But don't don't go out of your way if you're if you're sitting down and doing doing something and you need to have throw something on the computer while you're building a model or futzing around with something. You know you're you're not going to get hurt by doing this. So I'm like Ken. I'm going to give it a six and a half. Hey, if I can jump in a second to sort of you know, respond or come back with something Mark said. Do you guys think that somewhere deep in the bowels of Hollywood, there's a roll of film that had like the director's cut version of this, that they could throw in some extra scenes that were filmed and cut out that would make it a little more compelling? I would heartily believe that. Yeah. 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 It, it seems like they chopped. 20 minutes out of this movie. My whole um, view of this movie is I love the concept. I loved the universe that was set in because it's not that far in the future. It's not like Star Trek or Star Wars. Um, you know, it's that believable uh, future. The biggest problem I had with the movie was, um, honestly, was the way they portrayed uh, Kurt Russell. He was just pretty much an automaton. Um, I mean, I understand what they were trying to do, you know, making him this like super soldier that was immune to all this stuff. And then when you're talking about put it in the Blade Runner universe, it's like, well, Christ, the replicants had more, you know, feeling humanity than this guy does. And they're not even human. So that kind of put me off. And maybe that kind of prejudiced me about this movie. I like the movie. I thought it could have done a little bit more. Like uh, Ken said, this movie could have probably got a good another 20 minutes into it of character development, but it didn't. But overall, it's a good movie. I would recommend it. Like Mark said, if you're, you know, if you've got nothing else to do, sit down and watch it. it it's pretty good. My overall view of this movie is I'm going to give a little bit higher review than my compatriots. I'm going to say it's about seven. If you don't see it, you're not missing anything, but. It's worth a watch. So that's it. That's my review. All right, folks, that is it for the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 85. Stay tuned for us next week. We're going to be talking about a surprise. Yeah, we've got some uh, thoughts in the uh, uh, council here that we're talking about, but we're going to surprise you for uh, next week. But until then, check us out at our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. And if you have bad uh, reviews, uh, send them all to uh, Jeff Muncy, the uh, the guy that never shows up to the show and always these these rails that I always say that 
I, I cannot. At least you didn't say Disraeli. I mean, you Disra- know. Disraeli. All right. So, uh, we're also on Facebook and look for us there at Man Cave Movie Review. And if you're on Twitter, follow us at Man Cave Movie so you know what we're, uh, going to be talking about, uh, in the following weeks. So until then, I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. Who are you calling obsolete? Slover. Did you catch the other little homage in the movie when Kurt Russell's character lands on the trash pit when he arrives at the planet and Wally is off to one side? <laughs> oh, wow. No, I didn't. I, I did oh, not yeah. catch that. Nice. He's right there. It would be very appropriate. And if he wasn't there, he should have been. That's right. Yeah. And also saying farewell, adieu, and avida Zayn is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. Oh, good Lord, don't let me fall behind on the platoon run, Roni. My mind is blank. I don't have a witty repartee. I've burned out. Oh. See what happens when you chug Mountain Dew with When I'm bourbon. chugging Mountain Dew and Maker's Mark, and there's still a little bit of this river water scum stuff in the bottom, so let me <laughs> hold on. Ah. <laughs> As I said, it's it's not repulsive. I, I could see this on a hot summer day, maybe sitting back in a uh, recliner and maybe playing, twist a lime. Playing the theme from Deliverance. Hey, it's Mountain Dew. That's what it was designed for. I'm just honoring the will of the inventor. Wow. Uh, and because he's not there, and even though he's not here, he was, he still managed to derail the show somehow, and he screwed up Ken, threw the, uh, penny on Ken's rail, and, uh, messed it up. Uh, Jeff will be here someday, uh, because he's AOL. He's AOL? He's AOL. I said that on purpose. And he's, he's America Online? Yeah. He's dial up. He, he's working with Steve Case to. <laughs> Dial up through my modem? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. All right, folks. That is it for the Man Cave Movie Review, Episode 85. I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off. Ciao. I had to retype my script here. All right. I didn't know you had a script. I always have a script. I got well, it 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 dies out after the introductions. After mm. that, it's like Michael's don't take a dump without a plan, son. Depends <laughs> <laughs> on his game tonight. He came with the A game. Oh, I love yeah. my Fred Thompson quotes. <laughs>